This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us today. Well, with the public spotlight now firmly shining on the opioid crisis in America, here are some sobering facts. Over 200,000 Americans have died from overdoses related to OxyContin and other prescription opioids since 1999. The difference is that these drugs aren't being cooked up in meth labs or smuggled over borders. 60% of opioids come from doctors' prescriptions. And according to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, four out of five people who try heroin today first started with prescription painkillers. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report that 145 Americans now sadly die every day from opioid overdose. And to talk about the crisis and his recent groundbreaking litigation against the pharmaceutical industry is our special guest, James Buffetti, Senior Assistant Attorney General of New Hampshire and the Chief of the Consumer Protection and Antitrust Bureau. Jim and his colleagues recently filed a 95-page complaint against Purdue Pharma, so with that, welcome to the show, Jim. We're very interested in hearing what you have to say today, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. This is an important issue, and uh, I'm happy to talk about Terrific. it. Terrific. And joining me today as my co-host is my friend and Ringler colleague, Peter Early, of Ringler's New Hampshire office. And with that, I'll just say welcome to the show, uh, Peter. Welcome back. You've been uh, our co-hosts on several of these shows. We love having you on. Uh, thanks, Larry. It's always, uh, always fun to be on Ringler Radio. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well, as long as most of us can remember, drugs were seen as the scourge of the inner cities, but now they seem to have broadened their reach, and New Hampshire is a prime example, and that's why we've invited its Senior Assistant Attorney General, Jim Buffetti, to help us understand it. But before we talk about the important legal action that you've taken, Jim, why don't you give us an overview of what you think is happening out there in the, in the drug culture and what, what's going on? Well, great, thanks. So uh, I think you uh, you cited one of the more important uh, facts here. Four out of five people who migrate to heroin or fentanyl on the street start with prescription opioids. And so what we have seen in this country is um, uh, aggressive marketing of these opioids over the past number of years, um, significant overprescribing of opioids, and uh, people who are taking them for chronic pain for long-term uses are finding that they're becoming addictive, that the medication is becoming less and less effective for them, uh, and eventually they get, uh, they, they get shut off from their doctor and they go looking for other sources and so they go to the street, they go to heroin, and as I think we know, heroin today is, um, is being mixed with powerful fentanyl, uh, and oftentimes the user has no idea what the percentage of fentanyl is, 
And if, if it's a significant percentage, then that person is at very high risk of overdose deaths. So we've seen in New Hampshire a significant rise in drug overdose deaths. Uh, we have about 500 a year. Uh, and for a state this size, uh, that is really devastating. This is an epidemic in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Per capita, we are the second highest um, rates of, of drug overdose deaths in the country. No question. Wow, that is that is uh, startling to hear. So, so Jim, as, as this crisis continues to escalate, obviously there's been a lot of uh, research done and people trying to get their arms around the problem. Uh, Andrew Kalandi, who's the co-director of the Opioid Policy Research Collaborative at Brandeis uh, and who works with opioid addicts, has said that the shift in prescribing trends is what's created this crisis. Uh, The CDC says that opioid prescribing has quadrupled since 1999. uh, And in August, the U.S. Surgeon General um, wrote an open letter to physicians asking for their help with this urgent health crisis and linking the crisis to deceptive marketing. Uh, the New Hampshire complaint states that Purdue Pharma intentionally misinformed the medical community about opioid risks way back in 1996. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I sure can. So the complaint that we filed, uh, which was the result of a lot of investigation, talking to a lot of New Hampshire prescribers, looking at uh, at, at stats from New Hampshire in terms of how, how much of these drugs are being used and prescribed and paid for by state dollars, um, it became pretty obvious that this company... Uh, was very successful in changing the culture of of, uh, of opioid prescribing. They uh, they they uh, figured out that they needed to create a, a market for long term chronic pain users. And historically, those people would not have been using uh, opioid therapy because I think we've known for centuries how addictive this drug is, but. Purdue was was successful in very aggressive um, marketing of this and convincing doctors that uh, that their products were safe and effective for long term chronic pain uh, users, people that had migraines and back pain, and um, and so um, and and they did that through a whole variety of strategies. Uh, they had a lot of marketing uh, uh, studies. Some of them, we, we allege in the complaint, were biased and were false. They hired uh, reputable pain specialists who touted the, the, the benefits of opioid therapy. Uh, they visited hundreds and hundreds of uh, New Hampshire prescribers every year and convincing them how safe and effective their products were. And, and it worked. They, they were able to, to vastly increase the, the market uh, and the sales for their products. And in doing that, they made opioids generally a much more accepted uh, therapy and, and oftentimes a first course of therapy. Instead of trying other kinds of alternate pain treatments, they were pushing opioids as the first course of treatment in a, for a lot of these patients. And, uh, and this is where we are now. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh you talk about how physicians are, are prescribing these things. And, and as a response to the marketing, uh, I personally had a situation where, just like you said, I had a back, a back issue and uh, we were going away for the weekend and we went to get a few of those pills. And uh, lo and behold, what we wanted for like three days to make sure I got through it, the doctor prescribed 50 of the pills to me. And uh, 
So we had a bottle of 50 pills. I took three or four, and then everything cleared up. My wife ended up crushing the remaining pills. She was, like, paranoid about it, flushing them down the drain. But to, to be prescribed 50 pills when, when I'm really only needing three or four was, uh, was a real signal to me that there's something wrong out there. And I think you'll find that that's, that's, that's very common, that people that go in for, for routine procedures uh, for tooth extractions will come out with significant amounts of, of opioids. And so everybody, it seems like, has uh, opioids in their medicine cabinets, unused opioids. But some of those people uh, use them on a, on a regular basis, and they've been using them for years. I've talked to a number of, of people who have called the office, and, um, and, and many folks will tell you that they, um, that, that, that they have been using opioids. I mean, in our complaint, we, we cite that in 2014, 2 million Americans... Uh, we're, uh, we're addicted to prescription opioids. Amazing. And, you know, that, that issue of uh, the leftovers being in the medicine cabinet, that's just an open invitation to those who are seeking them to uh, to go rummaging through. So that's one of the reasons why everyone's got to be very vigilant about all that. But, you know, uh, Jim, your complaint stated that Purdue Pharma knew that its marketing of opioids was false and misleading and that the company concealed its misconduct and use false research and trivialize the addiction. And this information came in part from former sales employees at Purdue. And, you know, it sounds eerily like what transpired in the tobacco arena. So what exactly is the remedy you're trying to obtain from the litigation uh, based on all of those factors? Well, you know, this is a case that's been filed, so we're in the early stages. Assuming that we get to a point of a court uh, saying that, yes, we have proven that they have violated these statutes, and we have a number of claims um, in our uh, causes of action in our complaint, then we would be looking for, for this company to essentially fix what they broke, to, uh, to, to pay for treatment, to, to, to pay to, uh, to make sure that doctors get the, the, the correct, precise message about, about opioid prescribing. Uh, and to basically abate the nuisance that they've created. I mean, it's, you know, every city and town in this state is dealing with first responders who are, who, who are going out on calls. There's, there's all kinds of costs associated with this, with this, with this epidemic. Uh, and, uh, and that's stuff that, that they should fix because it was, we believe, it was a result of their deceptive marketing that this, this overprescribing, that this crisis epidemic is now uh, facing the state. So even though that you know, they, Purdue has obviously um, gone a long way in, in exacerbating this crisis, if you go to their website, it says, we are acutely aware of the public health risks that these powerful med- medications create. That's why we work with health experts, law enforcement, and government agencies to reduce the risks of opioid abuse. What's your assessment of that? Well, I can only speak for New Hampshire in that uh, and one of the things we allege in the complaint is that they consistently failed to report to law enforcement or to the New Hampshire Board of Medicine suspicious prescribers. And they were, had an obligation to do so, but they didn't. In fact, they kept selling pills through those prescribers when they knew that, that they were problematic. And I think this is probably fair to say that this was happening around the country. 
So I, you know, I've read the same claims, but in New Hampshire, that's just not what they have done, and and they have not been a constructive force for for for, for trying to deal with this addiction crisis. Uh, you know, I don't I don't see where they're actually doing something to abate this this crisis. Well, that's not it's not very surprising, I guess, and uh, maybe that's the the essence of what the litigation may finally uh, finally come up with that uh, you know the truth will come out. And uh, you know what's what's really been different about the opioid crisis in my eyes and I'm sure in a lot of others is that unlike a lot of other drug scenarios where things happened in the dark and in in, in shadows the public, the public has actually been seeing the effects of this. I mean, there's been, I'm sure you, you, you know these situations where parents are shooting up in the car and their kids are. What, what are some of those kinds of public uh, situations that are causing uh, people to shake their heads? What have you seen out there? Well, I mean, you can't, uh, you almost can't go a day without picking up the paper or hearing on the radio some some story. You know, there was a there was a, a story recently. Where a father uh, brought his young son into a into a restaurant, and the father went into the into the bathroom and began and and began overdosing, and and the the the, the child actually had to go to the waitstaff and say, "I think my father is in trouble," and so they called first responders and they had to administer Narcan, which is the reversal drug, uh, to revive uh, this this father. I mean, that's you know that's that's seen. I mean, there were people in that restaurant. There's a lot of commotion going on, and it turns out that that's what this is. You know, um, and I think that if you talk to local police, they would talk about how they have to check out public parks for 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 used needles, and they have to um, you know there are people that are that are passing out on grocery aisle grocery store aisles and on park benches. And you know, people see that, and the police respond to it. Um, some uh, some police forces will tell you that that they go and and uh, administer Narcan to the same person multiple times in a in a in a couple of days, uh, because this this uh, this the, the, these drugs are so addictive. They create such an impulse for addiction and for use that um, it's very difficult to to manage. I mean, I was a defense lawyer for 14 years before I moved to the Attorney General's office, and I represented hundreds of clients who had an addiction to heroin and opioids. And I can tell you, those are the worst cases because that addiction is very, very difficult to overcome. Mm -hmm. And many, many, in fact, most people who fight that addiction relapse it is a lifelong process because it changes brain chemistry in people, and it creates such a strong addiction. It's hard, I think, for those of us who have an experience to understand how powerful that addiction is. Probably often tough to get paid, too, I guess. It's tough to deal with that population for sure. Well, let's take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back in just a minute with more from Ringo Radio. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. 
There's a Ringler Consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler Advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and joined by my co-host, Peter Early, and our special guest, James Buffetti, Senior Assistant Attorney General in New Hampshire and the Chief of Consumer Protection and Antitrust Bureau. And, of course, we're talking about the opioid crisis in New Hampshire's groundbreaking litigation against one of the makers of OxyContin. Uh, Jim, there are multiple counts in the New Hampshire complaint against Purdue Pharma. And what are some of the important ones that we maybe haven't spoken about yet? What, what else is in that complaint? So in addition to the, to the un- unfair and deceptive acts and practices, which is a violation of the Consumer Protection Act, there's also a claim of unfair competition um, so, for example, uh, OxyContin, it was marketed as a 12-hour dosing drug. Uh, and they did that because it gave them a significant uh, advantage as they were marketing it. You, you know, you could tell your patients you take this drug twice a day. Uh, unfortunately, for, for many patients, they did not get 12 hours of pain relief. We allege that Purdue knew that and that they stuck with that 12-hour dosing, in fact, told prescribers to have patients take a higher dose every 12 hours as opposed to taking it more frequently, which only increased this, this sense of euphoria and then this, 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 this sense that, you know, it's, it's just not working and, and, and greatly exaggerated the addiction risks. So, so that's part of it. You know, they're all sort of related, but the, 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 they did these things that, that created a competitive advantage for them, that created an unfair competition in the marketplace, that itself is a violation. We also allege Medicaid fraud because we believe that their false statements about addiction and other things uh, led to the state making Medicaid payments uh, to these chronic pain patients that they otherwise probably would not have. Um, We allege public nuisance, which you've talked about a little bit before, um, we've alleged unjust enrichment, and we've also alleged this fraudulent and negligent misrepresentation. So those last ones are sort of common law claims that you can make, uh, but they're all related, and there's a common theme here, but um, it's just going at it from different angles. Uh, Jim, you, you mentioned how bad the opioid problem was in New Hampshire specifically, and I know um, that throughout the state, you know, you're not going to find many people, myself included, who haven't been touched by this personally. You know, I've, I've unfortunately lost friends and family both in New Hampshire, but also throughout the country. I know it's a, it's a nationwide epidemic, um, and, and other states are taking aim at Purdue as well. Uh, right now, there's a multi-state investigation into various opioid manufacturers that a bipartisan coalition of 35 state attorneys general launched in June, uh, and congressional and Senate investigations are underway as well. Uh, can you discuss that a little bit more? Sure can. So we were actually instrumental in, in starting a multi-state group to look at this opioid problem. 
And I think there's, there's a large number of states that are, are in the investigative for, uh, phase. There are also about 10 or 12 states who have actually brought lawsuits. So they're litigating states, New Hampshire now being one of those. And so uh, because of the way that litigation works, once we actually begin litigating, we step out of the, of the, the, the multi-state group. But we're still uh, obviously in touch with other states. We're, uh, we're working with them to the extent that we can because we all, we all have a common purpose here, and that is to find out exactly what happened and to hold uh, any wrongdoers uh, uh, responsible for what they did. Um, I think you're going to see more lawsuits filed. Um, states have uh, been filing pretty regularly. Uh, Alaska filed recently, um, as did South Carolina. And uh, I think you're going to find other states are, are going to uh, jump into that because, you know, this is a case that probably needs to go to trial. I think the facts really do need to be explored in a way that only a trial can do. And I think we are very anxious to, you know, to be able to present the evidence to a court and, and, and make sure that people begin to understand exactly what happened here. You know, Jim, the president uh, has now called the opioid crisis a national health emergency, which I assume allows access to more federal funding. And uh, that's that's always going to be a good thing for for all of us trying to fight this. Uh, And I also heard you say earlier that maybe some of the outcome of your litigation would be some additional funds uh, to be able to help with certain aspects of this and mostly around the educational aspect. And is that the is that the ultimate antidote for the problems we're talking about? Is is it education? I know there's it's almost like a three prong. There's a criminal nature. There's a lot of people want to talk about criminality. Others want to talk about treatment, and then there's an education umbrella that's over all of that. What 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 do you sense is where is the he- country headed in in the direction of uh, which of those which of those aspects? Well, I hope the first aspect, the the most important aspect, is treatment because. That there are two million people who are suffering with an opioid addiction, uh, I think the only realistic response is to find a way to get them off those drugs, and you can't do that cold turkey. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, I think having many more uh, treatment resources available so that if those that want it can get it, and it's good treatment, uh, is the, the should, should be the first priority. That mixed with education. Uh, New Hampshire has done a lot of good work in uh, in revising the prescribing guidelines for opioids, and other states have done the same thing. So there's education of patients, there's education of prescribers, uh, there's a, a much greater awareness about uh, about how to use these drugs. You know, we're, we're not saying that these drugs should not be used. We're saying that they should be used properly and that those who use it and prescribe it should understand clearly what the addiction risks are and uh, and maybe explore other options for pain relief before they move immediately to opioid therapy. Yeah, and you know, as you said, these, these drugs do serve a purpose. It's just, unfortunately, there are so many unintended consequences that have happened. Um, and it's not just, you know, Purdue. I know earlier this year, the New Hampshire Attorney General's office reached a $3.2 million settlement uh, with the maker of another uh, opioid, a fentanyl product called Subsys. Uh, the, the company in allegation was Insys Therapeutics. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the scope? What's the uh, what's the current action compared to the the case that settled earlier this year? Well, the case against uh, 
this was a company called Incest Therapeutics that made a spray form of fentanyl, highly powerful form of fentanyl called Subsys. That, that's a different case because uh, that was actually a, 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 a kickback case where we alleged that the, that the company was paying kickbacks in, in, in the form of payments to prescribers to get them to prescribe off-label this, this very powerful form of fentanyl that was only supposed to be used for breakthrough cancer pain. And, they were, and, and prescribers who received these kickbacks were, were actually giving it to patients who didn't even have cancer. So that's a, that, that was a different case. We, were, we, you know, we acted quickly to, uh, to, to, to uh, go against the company. We reached the settlement. Some of that money has gone into treatment in New Hampshire. We're very uh, glad that that's the case. This case is different. Um, so this is, a, this is a deceptive marketing case. Um, and, um, you know, here's, here's the important point. I think, you know, oftentimes uh, I've heard Purdue say that the, the issue really is the abuse of their drug by people on the street. And uh, I, I want to talk about how dangerous is this drug for the person who uses it as prescribed. Because a lot of the patients, a lot of the people we've dealt with have pe- people who just took the, the, the drug that was given to them by their doctor in the dose that was recommended by their doctor and became addicted. So what was the risk for those patients? It's not a question. Yes, I'm sure this drug is being abused on the streets. There's no question these, these pills are being sold on the street. But I think the bigger problem are the people that take it as the doctor tells them to take it, get addicted, and then uh, eventually find that they have to take more and more of this drug in order to, to get any relief, if, if any relief at all, and then they, they migrate to, 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 to street drugs. Um, so, you know, that's the difference, right? These folks, these folks were just were, were taking what was prescribed. Now, tobacco, uh, there's been comparisons to tobacco. Tobacco, you go in and you, and, you, and you decide to start smoking. You know, no doctor is prescribing tobacco, um, but but in this case, you know that uh, these patients were being prescribed it and just followed doctors' orders and found themselves addicted. Well, you know, it's interesting in the tobacco arena. It was almost a cultural thing where there would be advertising, which would make it seem cool, and and people would would maybe gravitate to that for those purposes. Here, it looks like it's a much more incentivization of of physicians to prescribe maybe larger doses, or or as you said in the uh, in the substance case. Where there's it's it's a money issue that typically is involved in in this in this arena. So, what do you foresee, Jim? As we wrap this up, do you foresee tighter controls on the size of prescriptions that doctors are going to be able to to uh, to uh, give to their patients? Is there anything there? What what is your hope for the best outcome of this whole Purdue litigation as we move forward? What what do you what do you want to see? I do think there's a change in culture, um, and you know already there are, there's, there are limits on the amount of these drugs get, that can be prescribed. And let me just say, you know, m- most most doctors, you know, are really trying to do the best thing for their patients, and they want to alleviate pain, and they have enormous amount of goodwill. Uh, but they were told things that were just not true by by this company. So I think we need to go back and to and to and and this company needs to correct its misstatements and uh and then we need to talk differently about what is the appropriate use for these drugs uh and limit the the number of drugs that can be given at any one time there's a, there's a lot of work already being done with that 
and educate the public, you know, so that if your doctor does write you uh, an opioid prescription, if you have wisdom teeth extracted, you might want to say, you know, gee, Doc, is there anything else I could take besides an opioid? I really don't want to use opioids if I don't have to. Um, That whole change of culture, I think, is what we're really hoping will happen in the long term. No question. And for the tooth, I've, I've always found a shot of whiskey helps a lot. Is what I thought. <laughs> well, with that, I think this has uh, been a terrific show. I think we've learned a lot, and uh, hopefully you've been able to get the message out, too, as to what's so important about trying to solve this, this real crisis that's uh, really uh, just uh, painful for all of us. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you, Jim, or talk to you or ask you any questions, how would they, how would they reach you? So uh, they can certainly call me at the office, uh, and I can give the number. It's 603-271-3643. Okay. And is there, is there a website? I think the Attorney there General is. has a website. Yep. There's a website for the New Hampshire Attorney General, and if you go into the Consumer uh, tab, there is an email that goes directly to the Consumer Bureau, and they can send an email to me that way. Terrific. And Peter, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Well, the phone number at my office here in New Hampshire is 603-423-0055. Uh, you can find my contact information or any of the other Ringler Associates at our website, which is uh, com. Well, that's exactly true, and uh, as Peter says, the website is uh, easily reachable, and it has all the uh, Ringler Associates around the country for structured settlements or anything else you might want to need a a, a Ringler uh, Associate or a broker to help you with. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is that that site has a lot of great information on it. It uh, I, I encourage you to go there because we, we're always exploring new new arenas around the litigation area, and of course, we'll be talking about this opioid issue as well. And uh, of course, if you want to go on that website, you're going to hear, you're going to see all the Ringler radio shows that we've done. And you can reach these radio shows either on that website, ringlerassociates.com, or you can find the radio shows on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or you can go to iTunes and uh, download the show right from iTunes and listen at your leisure. So with that, I want to say, Jim, thanks again for being a, a great guest and, and, and a very important topic. My pleasure. Thank you. And Peter, again, great co-hosting. Great to be here, Larry. Terrific. And for all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Thanks. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.